thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hi, ladies. Welcome to another episode of Wellness Women Radio. I'm Dr. Andrea Huddleston, and this week's episode um, of the podcast is a little bit different because this was an interview that I did on the Naked Naturopath podcast with the incredible naturopath, uh, Melissa, who we had on the show a little while ago. So she was interviewing me about all things related to male fertility, including you know sperm health, semen analysis, optimal sperm parameters, the things that affect male fertility, and the things that you can actually do to improve all of, uh, I guess, the fertility parameters when it comes to men's health as well. So ladies, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I really didn't want you to miss out on this information and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, so what do you want to talk about today? Uh, well, I just asked you the same question, Mel, and you're like, sperm. <laughs> I sperm. I want to talk about I sperm. That's so funny. Topic. Um, yeah, but it doesn't really ever get talked about, does it? No, I, when I, so what really got me wanting to talk sperm with you was when I saw a post on your Instagram and you said that sperm counts had halved worldwide in the last 40 years. And I was like, I know that sperm's crap, but I have done so many podcasts on women's fertility and eggs and, you know, all girl stuff. I was like, we rarely mention the boys except to say that they don't get on board and maybe it's because we don't give them enough information to you know have them uh, know the need to get on board yeah and I think that that is almost like this current that runs through all of women's health as well which like just drives me absolutely nuts um it's you know the woman's body is always treated like that 
like that medicalized war zone, right? So we're the one that always has the problem. We're the ones that always has something that has to be done to us. And fertility is such a, oh man, such an emotional topic for so many couples, but it's it seems to me, and this is, you know, my kind of anecdotal experience in practice, it seems to be that it's the woman in the relationship. And obviously I'm talking about like, you know, heterosexual relationships here. It's the woman in the relationship that carries all of the burden on that. Mm-hmm. So she is the one that comes to all of the appointments. She is the one that gets poked and prodded and goes through a whole barrage of really horrific tests that range from you know, like a fairly benign, like an ultrasound or a blood test right through to things like, you know, ovarian drilling or um, like endometrial scratch and all sorts of different things. And that's just the start of it. And when like 50% of the time, the issues why they're not actually conceiving actually lies with the male partner, but it's not even for the most part, even looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that so frustrating. So yes, yeah, yeah. sperm, as you said, sperm's crap these days. <laughs> Sperm is crap. Uh, the, you know, like you just said, it's 50% of the, um, you know, the team there. you got a yeah. half-half situation yeah. and the the ratio of men to women, you know, um, I guess uh, effort and, and information and, like you said, uh, treatment is uneven. And, like, I I have struggled to get – men to even take a preconception multi if they're wanting for their partners coming to me and they're taking like my disgusting herbs (laughs) they're doing the five different supplements and they're going to see the acupuncturist or the chiropractor like you and and they're really going gun ho and and the guy's like oh no I don't need that supplement it's one a day mate like (laughs) isn't that ridiculous I get that from my patients all the time as well like the the wives will say to me oh he's just not into this stuff like I'm not gonna be able to get him to stop drinking or like I just it blows my mind because especially in Australia male infertility is the number one cause of infertility yeah isn't that amazing like come on dudes like you know, get with the program. So, yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> One of the biggest things with this, right, is that like from my perspective as a naturopath, um, I just mentioned the just take one pill, one of these amazing preconception awesome pills that I prescribe a day. But it is really easy and simple to work with male fertility, much simpler in my perspective mm. than women's fertility, which, you know, we have heaps of stuff going on. Like if we're improving sperm quality and, you know, the way those guys swim, that's a fairly straightforward method, isn't it? It's literally the easiest thing in the world. Like, <laughs> and I know this is a, this is not a male bashing session by any stretch of the imagination for the fellas who are listening, but, yeah, you know, men are simple well. creatures. <laughs> Sperm is honestly the easiest thing in the world to, to change, even if, um, like, you see a male patient who has a really poor semen analysis, and we can get into some of those factors in a moment, but um, often you can have a complete turnaround in three months. Wow. And and I think it's just because it's like it's only one part of this whole conception journey, right? It's this one, yeah. <laughs> not tiny, it's obviously a very important part. Um, and the health of that is also dictating, you know, 50% of the genetic potential for the offspring that they're going to have. So we want it to be as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And getting that into men's brains as well is also like super important that they're understanding that how healthy that sperm is, is also dictating the health of their child. So even no, if it's a pretty big deal. Um, clinically wrong, and we can definitely get into what's considered clinically wrong. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, even if there's nothing clinically wrong, everything's looking good on the blinds, you know, supporting that sperm health will still help with um, babies' ongoing health. It will help prevent, you know, uh, lifestyle diseases. It'll help prevent genetic diseases. It'll make a better-looking baby. I like to emphasize that. You do get a more aesthetically pleasing baby when you look after the sperm and the eggs and all the bits and pieces that go in because you kind of you you're planting all of the seeds at the start for beautiful garden yeah Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that that would be a really good motivating factor because that's like, I guess, in an evolutionary perspective, nature wants the best, the strongest, the most beautiful. And that's, you know, obviously the healthiest sperm is going to produce that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And smart. Yeah. Yeah. There's been trials on beautiful and smart. That is hilarious. I read a study um, the other day that if men are binge drinking and binge drinking is considered five drinks in one session, I don't think a lot of people associate five drinks with binge drinking, but it is. Um, if men are binge drinking three to six months before they um, uh, before their partner conceives, that it dramatically increases the risk of cardiovascular disease in that child. Isn't that amazing? So I I think I posted something similar on um, Instagram about how, um, you know, when a certain time period of conception, men should really reduce their alcohol consumption. I don't even think I said cut it out, just reduce it. And, oh, my God, the backlash I got. Like, men, yeah, just men, like, sending me all of these, like, laughing emojis going, lols, good luck with that. Like, and it's just one tiny thing. It's just reduce your bloody alcohol consumption. How hard is that? And (laughs) thing is they've got nine months after that to drink as much as they want really like whereas we got to reduce that stuff (laughs) you know to carry um yeah look let's talk about sperm in like detail because rather than getting on the back of the guys let's talk about (laughs) i know i feel like we've bashed them a little bit it's definitely not our intention we are saying it's important i think that's like dudes want to know the logic they want to know the facts and I can bang on all day about herbs and um, nutritionals and, and, you know, people say that they don't believe in it or they don't, you know, that it's just expensive wee or wherever they're going with that. That's fine. But let's give them some facts so that they can kind of, um, you know, wrap their head around why this stuff is important and why we're talking about it. Um, We know that current semen analysis is outdated Mm -hmm. and has remained unchanged for over 50 years. Can you talk to me a bit more about that? I think that we just haven't gone in search of better ways of looking at, you know, men's health and men's fertility because if there is a fertility issue with the men, then the solution I think is just so simple and it doesn't affect them. So all they have to do is ejaculate into a cup. The most um, invasive thing that would happen for them would be say if they have a blocked um, like seminal tube or something like that so that they would actually need that sperm physically um, extracted, which is again, an easier process than having, you know, an egg retrieval in a woman, for example. And then his part is done. That's it, right? And then it all falls on to the other partner to go through, you know, all of the stimulation, um, to go through the assisted reproductive technology, whether that's IVF or ICSI and those sorts of things. So it's almost like there's two easier solution to male factor like infertility. So I think that, you know, this is just my assumption as to why they haven't really progressed that technology. Um, there are like, I think some better ways at really looking at what that might be like. And I think that as, um, like clinicians or practitioners, like doing a really thorough health history, looking at 
you know, what their diet and lifestyle is like, um, looking at other factors that can be influencing the health of that too can help us to like put that all together with a semen analysis as well. Um, but it is right now it's frustrating that I guess the gold standard testing that we have of a semen analysis is like 50 years old and the actual parameters of it, I think are way too liberal. So most men walk out of, you know, the, um, the doctor's office with their sp- um, sperm sample, um, like printout saying, I am the most virile, you know, man in the entire <laughs> world. It's, I'm amazing. But then when you actually look at it, they might only have like 10% motility or, you know, um, like 2% morphology or something. And we can talk about what those sorts of things mean, but they're not, no one actually explains to them what that means or actually digs into it with them um, and optimizes that. So when we're looking at like an actual semen sample, there's three, usually three different things we're looking at. We're looking at the volume. So how many like sperm are in that? And we want above 15 million per uh, of sperm per mill of fluid. And I know that that sounds like a lot, um, but it's not. Yeah. So that's what we want. That's, that's good as far as I'm concerned. So above 15 million per mill of fluid. Um, we want really good motility. So that's actually how they're moving, how they're swimming. Um, and we want more than 50% of that to be, um, like, you know, um, motile. And we also want that with progressive motility. So can they swim like in the right direction kind of thing and not just round and round in circles? (laughs) Um, and then there's the morphology and that's how they look. So this is essentially like, do they have, you know, a weird looking head? Do they have two tails? Does the tail connect to the head? Um, those sorts of things we don't want. We want an oval head, a long tail. So that's normal morphology and as high rate of that as possible. So usually in a sample, they'll say anything above 4% morphology is good. I think that that is terrible. Surely you'd want as normal looking sperm, which also means a normal genetic material in that sperm as physically possible. Um, And, you know, changing the parameters of that is like so, so easy, but that is usually, um, you know, the kind of parameters that you look for. And a healthy ejaculate usually has about 40 million sperm in that. So for those of you who are comparing your um, your little, (laughs) little sperm reference ranges to that, hopefully it all falls into that. Yeah, and like we're finding this more and more with um, like all kinds of testing that those ranges are not being updated. They may be based on a cohort of people who aren't the healthiest of yeah. people because we know that like, like people who get testing done probably aren't well, so that's why they get the testing done, and then those ranges become the norm. Um, so like I see that with a lot of different things, even including iron studies. I want more. I yeah. want better. Like, you know, totally. I, want it, I want it to look better for those people. I don't want it to just be within the range or like, you know, sometimes I, I get the okay from the GPs and it's one point within the minimum range. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? You've got like, you've got like 50 more points that you can work towards there or more. Exactly. But we're saying that even though your, your GP or your specialist or someone may say, look, you're within range. There's still more that you can do and mm. it is going to be better for both conception and uh, baby's health, ongoing health, um, but and also like um, pregnancy outcomes as well if that yeah. sperm is well, well, well beyond the minimum range. Yeah, 
Absolutely agreed. And I guess it is almost like a, just like a healthy, like menstrual cycle for a woman is a really good reflection of her overall health. I think that, you know, that sperm quality could be that for men as well. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And like, I haven't heard anyone say that before. It just, I think it just makes sense. You know, it is like a kind of a direct measure of their virility. Absolutely. Um, and sperm is affected by so many different, um, factors, including, you know, diet and lifestyle and, you know, environmental things and stress. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that so that um, I think, uh, Mel, if you're okay with this, the fellas have, you know, some things that they can start to work on straight away to kind of improve their swimmers. Yeah, let's do it because we know that our environmental toxins have a huge impact on our hormonal health. Yeah. But you're talking about like, you know, we've got a rising um, rising rates of metabolic disease and obesity, which has a huge impact for men's sperm as well. Let's, yeah, let's get into it. Diet, lifestyle. Yeah. So let's talk about obesity because that is such a massive one. Um, and it affects, there's so many different ways it actually affects men's health and sperm quality as well. And, um, you know, we all know that obesity rates are like through the roof and that's, you know, really scary. Um, but I think that when a man comes in and I see him walking in and he's got that classic like hypo um, kind of uh, or hyper estrogenism, like that picture. So he walks in and you can almost see like the man boobs in the muffin top. Um, Even if he's not like obese, you can already see that that body fat distribution has gone sort of more feminized. You can already tell that there's some sort of hormonal disruption that's happened there. And a lot of the time, probably from, you know, dietary factors, but also stress. So obesity reduces the overall just concentration of the sperm. So it reduces the amount that you have, the motility, the morphology, everything. So that decreases. It increases. We lost you there. Oh, yeah. I thought that there was like a little bit of a delay. Am I back? Okay. Uh, So obesity reduces the overall Um, sperm concentration. So the amount that men have, um, it also creates this hypogonadotrophic state or so essentially what that means is it reduces all of their androgens or all their testosterone hormones, and then it puts them into this hyperestrogen state. So where their body and their hormonal picture um, reflects more of like that, that feminizing type hormones. Um, it, like that obesity also impairs the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis as well. So all of the stress responses, it decreases the pulses of certain hormones that come from our pituitary gland that then signal down to the testes to actually, you know, increase or decrease testosterone. So the, the net result of that is that it has this central decrease to our whole body of testosterone as well. Um, obesity also increases like the sperm, like the DMA, DNA fragmentation. So it changes what, um, that genetic potential is and the way just the sperm is kind of making itself up as well. And obviously compromises its fertilizing, um, potential or ability. Uh, and we just see that all of the conventional sperm parameters in men who are overweight or obese, all of their parameters are worse off. So decreased concentration, volume goes down, impairs motility and morphology is like pretty crap as well. Um, so that's just a few things. <laughs> I know that this is going to obviously impact on um, infertility, but do you know that it, if it impacts on the rate of miscarriage Ooh. in general? changing that dna good question um it would have to it would absolutely have to um 
I don't know exactly the factors around, um, you know, how that would happen. I'm just going to turn the volume up here so I can hear you a bit better, Mel. Um, (laughs) That's better. Um, But we do know that, like, usually that spontaneous miscarriage that happens, sometimes it's up to 40% of pregnancies end in that spontaneous miscarriage, usually within the first 12 weeks of conception. There is, and I've been trying to find it for the life of me, there was some research that was actually looking at the timing of the miscarriage and whether or not that that could be more due to sperm factors or egg factors. And um, it was showing that maybe between like, you know, conception to six weeks might have been more potentially sperm factor um, or, you know, from six to 12 weeks might have been more an egg factor. Now, I could have got those timings around the wrong way. I cannot find this research again, but I will, I'll, I'm going to try and, and dig it out. The idea, but so like yeah. hopefully we can, we might be able to uh, use that as a parameter for sperm health um, yes. as well when that you know, if we can get a bit more specific with things like that. But, yeah, it's got to, right? Like when we're looking at DNA that's not um, being made correctly or the sperm's coming in and, like, if they've got their head attached to their tail, that can't be good for anything. <laughs> yeah, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, yeah. <laughs> like things like that have got to impact um, on, yeah, not not just the health of baby after they're born, which is what I've been kind of banging on about, but also that health in pregnancy in utero. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we know that that spontaneous miscarriage kind of happens because things just aren't quite right. There's just yeah. something that the body's recognizing going, oh, we're not quite happy with that. And yeah. sort of, you know, nature kind of takes care of it. And if there is changes to that genetic makeup or essentially like the DNA of the sperm, for example, then that's surely that's going to increase miscarriage rates as well. Mm. Um, now, when we were doing the wellness um, summit, yes, we were there. Was that last year? It was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. A bit of a blur for me having a two-year-old um, now. But you know, I opened one of my talks. I talked about toxins, and I opened with like, you know, take a deep breath in because it's just such a showstopper. And we've just breathed in. Um, I think we're up to about seventy-five, um, seventy-five thousand different toxic chemicals oh delightful <laughs> that's so terrifying delicious and they all think that they're starting this big deep breath to kind of just center themselves and then like you know yeah. boom, with the facts so when we talk about like that's just the air we breathe we know that you know our food is depending on the food that we eat getting um, takeaway wrapped in plastic having coffee through the plastic lids and the, yeah. they've got plastic linings and um, BPAs are a huge issue now mm. but what, when we talk about toxins and sperm um, what can you tell me about that well, we know that uh, those sort of environmental endocrine disruptors that you've referred to mimic estrogen in both men and women's bodies. So even just the presence of that for men on a hormonal level is going to be reducing testosterone and it's yeah. going to be increasing essentially those toxic versions of estrogen that the body doesn't quite know what to do with. So it's very safe to then go and just kind of deposit in fat and just put some fat around it. That's kind of a nice, safe thing to do. Not quite sure what to do with that so let's kind of go and put it over there which storage blocker yeah totally storage right now (laughs) which could also be why we're seeing like you know those kind of that excess body tissue for example um on men in certain things but the uh, for all of those sperm parameters that we talked about all of those environmental disruptors 
are what create changes again in the like the DNA fragmentation. So it's what essentially is messing with um, just the health, the overall health and genetic potential of that sperm. So I assume mm. that it would be reducing absolutely the volume, so the potential that it has there, because when there's more estrogen, there's less testosterone, so there's less you know, I guess, ability to create sperm in the first place. Um, And all of those things kind of fit into um, this category of um, like, it's called reactive oxygen species, or I think of it like oxidative stress on the system. Um, And those environmental endocrine disruptors definitely fall into that category. And the biggest thing that they do is they just, they damage the sperm DNA. They damage the membranes of the sperm as well. um, And the proteins that it makes too. So just similar to any other kind of tissue in our body that undergoes kind of free radical damage that sort of messes it up. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing with sperm. So in terms of like men's health, even if they're not looking to be um, having a baby, that could be extrapolated into their cancer risk. Yeah, totally. We know that all of that definitely increases the risk of cancer, um, both for men and women in terms of breast cancer as well. We know that men's breast cancer has been going through the roof. I'm seeing almost a an epidemic influx of men with enlarged prostates and young men as well, far too young to be having those sorts of changes. And most of it is benign, but there's something that's going on that's increasing, you know, obviously the inflammatory potential of the prostate itself that's decreasing their testosterone, obviously raising their estrogen and making that testosterone um, like aromatase into estrogen as well, which is increasing prostate, um, you know, size and, and everything else, which is that benign prostate hyperplasia. So all of this stuff is definitely um, affecting not just their fertility, but just their overall health too. Yeah, and so there's going to be people who are listening in and like loving, they're getting their, you know, chewing on the science here. But for those people who are like, what the hell are you talking about? Because this can get quite complex. We're talking about maintaining a healthy weight range, exercising regularly, and that means like 20 minutes a day. Like seriously, it doesn't mean CrossFit seven days a week or, (laughs) you know, it can just mean getting out and moving. Um, And the other thing that it means is reducing the toxins in our life. So we know skincare, we know household Mm. products, chemicals, anything that has, you know, a marking on it that says like, watch out, this is super dangerous, um, keep it away from your kids. You probably don't want it in your life anyway. And the other thing that we're really looking at is diet and you can reduce all of that plastic stuff, um, and that does reduce a lot of your takeaway and stuff like that. But the flip side of of eating a healthy diet is that you're going to get nutrients that are going to help prevent a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. Like if we're eating yeah. fresh greens, leafies, berries, that's going to help to reduce the oxidative stress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it really is like that simple. It's just those timeless health principles, isn't it? And um, Mel, I love that you mentioned exercise as well, like particularly for men, one of the easiest things that they can do to boost their testosterone. So they're, you know, like their masculizing, um, hormone is to do like powerful exercise. So, um, just things that might be like squats or deadlifts or just something that uses their big muscle groups. And again, it doesn't have to be CrossFit seven days a week, but just some sort of powerful movements really helps to lift testosterone, which is so cool as well. Like that's just amazing. And it's like the simplest thing ever. Um, when it comes to diet, 
uh, avoiding, you know, the, the really crappy stuff. So avoiding trans fats, we know that those are associated with lower sperm concentrations. So essentially anything that's, that's baked or processed mm-hmm. um, is going to be containing those, uh, those trans fats. Um, it was interesting. There was, um, I read some research that they did in, um, in rodents and they fed them like the hydrogenated oils or like essentially the, the crappy oils that most takeaway food is cooked in or a lot of those like kind of trans fats are cooked in as well. And what they found is that that actually reduced the size of their testicles mm-hmm. and decreased their serum testosterone levels, their sperm count, which again affected motility, morphology, their fertilizing potential, blah, blah, blah. So like it's just, and that was just looking at the input of trans fats in that diet. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good thing to start to kind of just think about. So it's not just um, where you're getting your food from, but what is your food cooked in as well? What are the ingredients that are put into that? Mm. Um, and definitely increasing your fruits and veggies. Um, for men, I like, I love um, getting them to increase their fish. Um, so their omega fatty acids, um, getting as much zinc in their diet as physically possible. Um, for example, walnuts are amazing for, um, you know, sperm quality uh, and making sure that they're limiting their soy as well. Like particularly mm-hmm. like, you know, any like thing that has like those soy isoflavonoids in it has been associated with the lower sperm count too. So, um, you know, the soy milks, the soy, all sorts of soy products or anything. Soy things, you know, those chips now, like they, they, they look really healthy. Soy crisps. Oh. Like, oh, than a potato chip. Yep. Everybody's going vegan, so they're all eating lots of tofu and tempeh and those sorts of things. Um, so, guys, just go use with caution. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're the one cooking, let's cook with olive oil, grapeseed oil, um, maybe coconut oil, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah, at a low heat, low heat. (laughs) Controversial, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Getting rid of the canola oil, like that was something that really took my parents years to get on board with because the canola oil is cheap and it's, you know, they do lots of like frying with it in their home deep fryer because that's healthier than getting takeaway and like just getting to swap it to grapeseed oil because it was a bit more expensive and then. And, you know, they're not hard done by, but they were like, but it's really expensive. And I'm like, well, mum, it's going to, you know, you pay for your health. Like that's that's just the price of it. But if more of us buy it, maybe it comes down in price as well. So mm, getting yeah. rid of those crappy um, oils from things that aren't oily. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's look such at, a good way to think about it. It comes from something that, and you're like, hey, that's kind of dry, like rice bran oil. That, that bothers me, right? Rice bran, it's not even just rice, it's rice bran, which has been like totally dried out. It's literally a powder and then you're getting an oil out of it. So really high processing, um, yeah. not a great oil to be having. Something like olives, really nice and beautifully oily. You know, we know that's good to be yeah. having. Um, yeah, cool. Oh, that's such a simple thing to think about. Oh, yeah, very clever. Um, I think a really big thing for men um, is reducing their stress. So I think that there's really good um, kind of movements and programs and everything about just highlighting the effect of mental um, health issues for men these days, which is good. I know we've got a long way to go, um, but even when, you know, men feel like motivated and they feel like they're, um, you know, they're really stressed at work, they're really, really busy and that's like makes them feel, um, you know, very masculine and powerful and those sorts of things, that's great. But just keep in mind that, when men are stressed, they convert testosterone into estrogen. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So that is this, you know, essentially the hormonal pathways that testosterone goes down when men are stressed. There's ways to like mitigate that, um, which is good, but just keeping that in mind when you're overcommitting yourself to everything, when you don't have good coping mechanisms, maybe you need someone to, you know, um, kind of take the load off, spend time with like your like really good male buddies and talk as well. Yeah. And things other than drinking, you know, like yeah. looking to alcohol, for the end of your day to de-stress and maybe we look at other options. Maybe you do go do a couple of squats and then you only have half the beer that you would have normally like those kind of just little stuff. Right. And we're not saying don't have any beer, but maybe just having other methods to cope with the stress in your life. You know, the biggest thing with um, the testosterone is as a dude, it makes you feel great. Like yeah. that's your ugliness. Yeah. So <laughs> If your estrogen's through the roof, that's kind of like that seesaw relationship, isn't it? Like if your estrogen's high, your testosterone's pushed low. And if your testosterone's coming up high, your estrogen's pushed a bit lower, like simplistically. Yeah. Um, and your testosterone, I think for the guys, the, it, it really is important for your libido. So one of the most common complaints I hear from guys in the clinic is that they have a low libido. And it's like what you said about the period our menstruation being like a really good sign of our inner health as a woman and our and our like future health as well your libido is a massive sign of your health because when your stress is high your libido will be low because your sex hormones are pushed down so if men can kind of um think right you know get my testosterone up get my testosterone up make me nice and strong muscly and have good libido that's a really good link to just having healthy sperm as well yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I love that because I didn't think about the libido. Um, that's such an obvious thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's also a really good way to actually improve sperm quality as well is regular ejaculation and regular sex because we want to we wanna have that. I know. What, what terrible homework to have, right? <laughs> um, to have, and it's the same for women as well, to have, you know, like healthy reproductive organs. We want really good juicy blood flow to that area. We want really good um, change in that blood flow. We want good lymphatics to the area and everything else. And one of the best ways to do that is with orgasm for both men and women. So, um, yeah, that's a uh, run. Yeah, totally. Everyone's got license to get busy. <laughs> um, and you know, just lastly, like when we're talking about IVF, right? Yeah. Talking about putting probably the current egg and the current sperm together medically. Yep. So if the sperm quality isn't that great. Um, we're still going to be looking at a chance of infertility even with IVF because we haven't improved the, I guess, like the basis, like the the. It's like my, I always think of my garden. I can't help it because I'm a gardener. Yeah. So if soil is no good. Like soil technology is eighty percent of your garden, right? So if your soil's no good, everything that you try to grow is just it's not you're not going to get a bumper crop. So mm-hmm. when we look at, you know, those basic kind of um, uh, starting factors, sperm, egg, we really still want to be improving them in all outcomes. We're not just talking about natural conception here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much, even though we're talking, um, you know, we've mentioned a few times, it is a little bit more expensive to choose better sort of 
for example, quality oils or to take some good quality sort of prescription, um, like practitioner prescription quality, maybe um, prenatals for men as well for their good paternal health. Um, That is a hell of a lot cheaper than going down the assisted reproductive route. Like IVF cycles, like one cycle alone is on average about $10,000. And they fail 70% of the, 75% of the time. And that is a generous um you know, usually they're successful 5% of the time, often. Uh, So, and it's because of that factor, right? It's that when you're not actually improving some of those fundamental markers, the body is still going to be going, oh, this is not quite right. I'm not quite happy with this. This is not going to be producing the kind of offspring that we want to, you know, kind of bring into the world. Let's just, you know, not let that progress. Um, So you're spot on. Which is so heartbreaking because I don't think people are told like when you go down the route of IVF, it's like, all right, we'll look after it. Now you get the needles, you get the meds, you get the, um, you know, the horribly invasive procedures. Nobody's saying keep your diet on track. Like, you know, um, exercise, stay happy, try to reduce your stressors, take your really good, uh, multis, preconception multis, which I, I, I just, I know that we, as you know, Parakis bang on about supplements and stuff like that. But if nothing else, a high quality uh, prenatal vitamin is going to seriously improve your nutritional status. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really important. Uh, really important. Yeah. Mel, so what we- are your go-to kind of vitamins or herbs for um, for men's fertility? Yeah, look, I love this Australian brand. I've worked with her for um, a couple of years now. Her name's Nikki Warren, mm-hmm. and she makes NaturoBest. Okay. She's based in Queensland, um, and she just does these like ripper <laughs> natal vitamins for men and women. The women have like a three-stage thing, so there's like a preconception trimester one, and then there's two, three, and it goes through to breastfeeding. Um, but for the guys, there's just one, one fits all. Take it all, all around. Um, I think it's. Look, it could be one, it might even be two a day when you're in the, you know, proper conception phase, but it's got everything that they need in there. It's got herbal support as well as nutritional support. Ah, nice. Okay. The main thing I love about it is that it's got the highest quality activated um, folate that we can get on the market at the moment. So everything is activated in there and activation just means that your body can better utilize it. Like it's already gone through a couple of phases. So... If you are under stress, if you do have any genetic defects, um, whether you know about them or not, this is going to be the best, the best thing for your body to get what it needs. Yeah, for your for your baby, essentially. Awesome. Oh, oh I love it. Wise herb wise. Oh my god, so many <laughs> herb wise. It depends what's going on for them, right? For a guy, if it's estrogen dominance, we want to reduce that and get it out of there so things like rosemary as a herb are fantastic but you can also put it in the diet yeah and that will get rid of excess estrogen through the liver um and specifically um toxic estrogen which is what we're looking at when it gets stored in those places that you were talking about before yeah can help with weight loss herbs you know you can help with um stress herbs things like saint john's wort and lavender and carver are beautiful herbs to be using for guys um, and, you know, like you probably will get the um, average – the average guy is going to ask you about tribulus. Yep. Yeah. But um, we know that it's not the best herb to be using for male reproductive health 
and it's not even the best herb to be using to raise testosterone either. So I don't actually have it in my clinic. Mm, isn't that interesting? Mm. Oh, really popular, but not, not doing what we think it's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But not uh, a bad herb to be taking if you want to take it. That's fine too. <laughs> but maybe just for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, which is why, like, I always make all my liquids individually. Yeah. So if a guy comes in and he's got more than one of these factors, you can put a bunch of different herbs in. Um, usually one of my herb mixes will have five or six different herbs in it. Yep. And then, yep. you know, they can just take it as a liquid and it's really individualized and specific to what's going on for them. Awesome. Well, there you go, everybody. Do those sperm. things. <laughs> yeah, do those things. I love it. We love sperm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mel, it's been so nice to chat to you again, darling. It's been awesome. I love chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you too, Del. Uh, all right, we'll do our own intro, our own outros, yeah? Yeah, cool. So that yep. sounds good. Have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, you too, darling. Yeah, so beautiful. I'll see you soon. See you, Del. Bye. Ladies, thanks for tuning into that episode that I did with the naked naturopath, Melissa. I'm going to put all the links to her website and social media and everything below if you want to go and find out more information about her. So you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. So we are the Wellness Women or, you know, one half of it. I'm Dr. Andrea Huddleston. You can find me on social media. So on Facebook, I am the period whisperer and on Instagram, it's drandrea.xo. And we're missing Dr. Ashley Bond for this episode, but you can find her at Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. So you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.